Good morning, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and, and today I'm really excited to share three really great people that I get to have as guests with me this morning. I'm sure you're going to enjoy all three of them. It's going to be a, a really wonderful morning this morning, because first up, I'm going to be joined by world-renowned golf course designer, Reese Jones. Reese has a, a rich history in the game of golf, along with his father, Robert Trent Jones, Reese has designed or redesigned over 225 golf courses so far in his career. We're going to talk about some of the really spectacular ones that he's done in the past, and he's got some really great ones coming up here on the horizon as well. We're going to talk about all of that, plus you know how you know technology is starting to influence golf designers across the world. We'll see what, what impact that's having on his designs when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following, following Reese, I'll be joined by Terry Kohler. Terry is the founder and the former CEO of uh, the Ben Hogan Golf Company. He has over a half dozen golf club patents and nearly a hundred iron wedge and putter designs to his credit. So we'll talk about all of that and much more when t uh, Terry joins me here a little bit later on in this half hour. And then we'll round out the show with a return visit from a guy who's become a wonderful friend of the show, and that's Alan Edmonds, CEO, Paul Grandgard. We'll hear about their golf shoes, some of the other great you know, new uh, apparel and shoes that they have for us for off the course as well. So Paul will be along a little bit later on in the hour. So we've got a lot of really great stories and information coming your way this morning on Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour. Next on the tee, you know, is sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear, uh, you know, a word from our good friend Steve Rondonera about all the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year. Our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com, folks, to see for yourself how great a place it is and uh, to book your stay as well. And speaking of great, over the last several months, you've heard me talking about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on Black Friday to uh, being one of the uh, sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show here in January. Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, joined me back in January, and we're proud to be partnering with Bradley to help promote their unique and outstanding line of putters made from burl wood, folks. And I'm telling you, these are not ornamental putters. People have been raving about the look and the feel of the Bradley Putter. They are custom-made based on the shape and the colors that you want. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see for yourself how fantastic this new line of putters really is. And please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Company, right? Things changing outside, warming up. The Bobby Jones Spring Collection is here with fresh colors and new additions that have genuine, enduring character. From their new polo-style shirts to long-sleeve button-down shirts to tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any other warm-weather outing you might be going to, the Bobby Jones brand is going to keep you feeling great and looking great, either on the golf course or in the office. And when you place your order online, enter the promo code NEXT on the tee to get 10% off. So you can, you know, freshen up your wardrobe. You get it from an iconic brand. Save a little money, too. So go to bobbyjones.com and enter the promo code NEXT on the tee to freshen up your look for this spring. And plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Jesse Ortiz. 
Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, you know Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-metal fairway woods from his days back at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative design works you know, at, you know, at good use, right? Great use at, for the great golf equipment that he's designing now for the Bobby Jones Company. Please go online. Check it out for yourself. BobbyJonesClubs.com. I'm telling you, folks, I play the hybrids and the three woods. Absolutely fantastic. You're going to love it. Again, BobbyJonesClubs.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to our good friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest-growing golf brand uh, since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball is a major part of the reason why. Chrome Soft, it's extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why Bill Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Jim Furyk, just to name a few, have changed to the Chrome Soft Golf Ball. You have to be willing to change to get better, and Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in stores now. See what they can do for you at CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft. It's the ball that changed the ball. All right, folks. Now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Reese Jones. Let me give you a little more background on Reese. He's from Montclair, New Jersey, and comes from an extremely talented golf course design family. His father is legendary golf course designer Robert Trent Jones, and both he and his brother Robert Trent Jones Jr. have you know done outstanding work on new course designs plus innovative projects. You know, on existing courses out there, uh, unbelievable work. You should see some of the pictures. Please go online and do a search on Google for them. Reese graduated from Yale and uh, did his graduate studies at Harvard. Following college, he went into the family business working with his father and his brother. 1974, he founded his own design uh, firm, uh, Reese Jones, Inc. He has designed or redesigned over 225 golf courses, including remodeling seven U.S. Open sites, eight PGA Championship courses, five Ryder Cup sites, two Walker Cup venues, and one President's Cup site. Locally here in Atlanta, he's redesigned Eastlake Golf Club, you know, which is the site of the Tour Championship, as well as the Atlanta Athletic Club, the Charlie Yates Golf Course, and the Oconee Course down at Reynolds Plantations. You can all also see his great work at places like Torrey Pines, Cog Hill, Oakland, uh, Oakland Hills Country Club, Falcons Fire, Pinehurst Number no. 7, Hag Point, Ocean Forest Golf Club, and the Waldorf Astoria Golf Club, just to name a few of them, folks. He won, you know, so many awards, you know, more awards than you could shake a stick at, but here are a few. He won the 2013 Donald Ross Award from the uh, American Society of Golf Course Architects. He was inducted into both the New Jersey Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame in 2012 and the Northern California Golf Association Hall of Fame back in 2015. He was Golf Magazine's 1995 Golf Architect of the Year and was given the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America's Old Tom Morris Award in 2004. And I am deeply honored to have him with me here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Reese. Thanks for coming on the show. Good morning, Chris. Great to be with you. So, Reese, right off the top, when people see your name and your father's name, Robert Trent Jones, especially here in Atlanta and the work you did out at Eastlake, they think, oh, he must be Bobby Jones' grandson or grandnephew or some sort of relation somehow. But your father and, and Bobby Jones, they knew each other, even did some work together out at Augusta National. But your family's aren't related. Talk about the relationship between your father and Mr. Jones and uh, and what he ended up doing out at Augusta National. Well, not just Augusta National, but they designed Peachtree in Atlanta together. And um, they were very good friends, as my mother was with Mary, uh, Bob's wife. Um, we became close friends because uh, Dad came down here, played a lot of golf, played at East Lake with Bobby Jones a lot. And then Bobby took him over to Augusta, where Dad created the 16th hole, put the pond in on 11, recontoured a lot of green, rebunkered a lot of holes. Uh, his green on 13, uh, I think, has held, held up and stood the test of time. 
And I just think uh, we visited with Bob Jones. And he was the hero in our family. And I think that's why Tom Cousins hired me to redo Eastlake. Uh, he and Charlie Yates interviewed me at the Bone Steakhouse 20 years ago. And I've been working there ever since uh, for purpose-built communities and Tom Cousins' dream of Eastlake. I think that was all because of the Bobby Jones connection. And Reese, you know, going all the way back, you know, how we've been talking with your father. How did he develop his love for the game of golf and get his start in golf course design? Well, he lives in Rochester, New York, and um, he was thinking of becoming a pro golfer. And uh, because Walter Hagen's ne- uh, niece was in school with him, and she suggested that he go caddy at uh, Rochester Country Club, so he did that and uh, caddy for Walter Hagen and George Eastman. And uh, golf just rubbed off on him, and uh, he became the city champion and decided he wanted to become a pro golfer, but then he got an ulcer. And <clears throat> the doctor told him he had to make five-foot putts for a living. Uh, he'd get another ulcer. So he saw Donald Ross building Oak Hill and decided maybe he'd go into golf course design and went cor- to Cornell to study that and then got in partnership with Stanley Thompson, the famous Canadian architect, and the rest is history. And, you know, from, from there, Reese, when, when you were watching, you know, all of this develop as you know, your kid and going through, you know, your teenage years and into college, what made you decide, you know what, I want to do that too? Well, people ask me that question, and a lot of uh, children go into their father's profession because you observe what the father's doing. Well, we didn't have much money when I was a youngster, and uh, we traveled by car to all dad's projects, and uh, his Construction foreman Bill Baldwin took me under his wing and taught me what Dad was doing, and and it just rubbed off on me. So when I went to Yale, um, I took the courses to get into Harvard School of Design, and uh, then I went to University of California Berkeley for a while to just get some technical expertise so that I could go into the business. But there wasn't much money in it then, um, and it grew and grew and grew, and uh, it, the golf has really become uh, just a very very successful sports since uh, since I started in the golf architecture. So, Reese, talk about golf course design. When, when, when you go visit a piece of property, what are you looking for that tells you if that's you know, going to be a good piece of land to develop and put a golf course on? And have you ever had to tell someone that you know, wanted to do a project when you look, went out and looked at the, at the land, you know what, this just isn't a good spot? Well, I've been very fortunate um, in that I – Orbit uh, Warren Wind, after I did my first U.S. Open redo at the Country Club at Brookline, <clears throat> told me not to do like a lot of architects do and uh, do too many jobs because then you lose control when you don't really leave something uh, that's your legacy. So I've only done uh, four or five golf courses a year, several remodels. Uh, and so I picked and choose, and I would pick and choose, and um, therefore I got to have work on some great sites like Atlanta Athletic Club and the Oconee course at uh, Reynolds. I mean, that's a great site that I was very fortunate to get. And Reese, you, you've done so many projects, but, you know, is, is, there a, is there a particular course or maybe maybe even a specific golf hole that, you know, now when you look back at it and, you know, you say to yourself, you know, wow, that turned out to be a beautiful golf hole. Well, we're building a course in Loretto, Mexico. It's called San Zante Bay. And I've got a I've got a hole, a par three, seventeenth hole, that's sort of cantilevered into the into the ocean. Uh, it's it's uh, just like the seventh hole at uh, Pebble Beach. Um, it's a little peninsula green on 
on a rock and it's it's on the cliffside and uh the ocean surrounds it uh it's really kind of phenomenal and i think it's already become a very famous hole and we only have 11 holes open so far at Zanzante bay but the golf hole was already on the royal and ancient golf clubs uh magazine's cover and so i think uh to just get that opportunity to build that hole and uh it's kind of a treat i think as far as special projects i think east lake really has to be right there at the top because we've done so much for the people of Atlanta and the community and the purpose-built communities. And now we've just opened our, our Bayou Oaks course in City Park in uh, New Orleans um, where we have the same purpose-built community. So, you know, connecting golf with making people's lives better has also been very, very important to me. And Reese, when, when you're laying out a new course, a new project, is is there a design principle that your father told you or something that you do that you consider, you know, a signature design that you use when you're uh, putting together your projects? Well, I try not to have a signature. I think uh, what's fascinating now is that um, at uh, <clears throat> Playa Grande in the Dominican, where I've got uh, 10 holes on the cliffs on the ocean, I have sort of a ragged bunker edge and windswept bunker end of windswept fairways. Um, in Alameda, California, building a sort of an Australian low-profile golf course with sand cap, and you play on the ground. Um, at uh, Danzante Bay, I've got a project where I've got I've got desert, I've got dunes, I've got cliffs, I've got valleys, I've got canyons, I've got arroyos. I probably have the most diversified site in the game of golf, and uh, you know every hole sort of works into the terrain, into the natural aspect of it. I think that's what I really try to do is just make it fit the terrain, fit the, the uh, climate, fit the location so that it looks natural and looks like it's been there forever. And Reese, you've been given the nickname the Open Doctor. How did that nickname come about? Well, my father, Robert Trent Jones, was the first Open Doctor because he redid a lot of the open courses. And I've done seven open courses over, and I think it's like 14 events. Uh, maybe it's even 15 events. Um and um, when George Pepper, when I did Baltusrol over for 1993, George Pepper dressed me up in doctor's garb uh, for the golf magazine publication. And uh, ever since then, I've uh, been the open doctor of, of this era. And Reese, you know, one of the hot issues around the game, right, is the advancement of technology, both in the, you know, in the golf clubs and the materials that they use, plus in the golf ball as well for how long they fly now. Have some of those things influenced your course designs? Have you had to make them longer, change them up, do something to to keep up with uh, what the equipment advances have become? Well, it, it's caused a problem uh, in the game, in my mind, because <clears throat> everybody's all worried about the ball going so far. But it only goes that far for the people with the fast swing speeds, the pros. And um, so you really have to be concerned like about the 13th hole at Augusta because they're hitting it with short irons now, and even the 15 totally goes to. But for the everyday play, I think it's the fact that the equipment has gotten better and uh, it's enabled the average golfer to hit home runs. I think it's good for the game. So I'm not against uh, the fact that the technology has changed and the ball is going farther because I think if it didn't, um, the game would be probably shrinking more than it is. Um, and uh, but what what we're working on now with Dan Van Horn of uh, U.S. Kids and the U.S. Marion Site Golf Course Architects, we're we're using a graduated T program, which we call the Long Leaf T program. So kids can start on a 
2,000 yard golf course and go up to a 7,000 yard golf course to get better. And then as you get older, you can sort of graduate back down. Uh, and I think this is going to be a major, major innovation, uh, that's going to keep people in the game and improve the game and make kids enjoy it. They can, they can reach the par fours and regulation. They can reach the par fives and regulation. And, um, as, as you hit it farther and you, you go to the practice tee and there's targets on the practice tee, which tells you which tee to play on the golf course. And so, it makes the game fun. I think the technology improvements and, and the long leaf tee program and things like that uh, are really going to make the game more fun and the game is going to grow. It's a great game. It's uh, very healthy. Um, and I think um, a lot of these innovations are going to help. Reese, I had Steve Mona on the show recently. And one of the things we talked about is, you know, is the cost of playing the game. And one of the main factors in, you know, keeping, you know, prices unfortunately high in some areas is, is the, you know, cost of maintenance of golf courses, right? Because, you know, they require sometimes more real estate, which costs, you know, more in, you know, water to keep it up. And, and, you know, obviously all of that combined, you know, makes a round of golf a little bit more expensive to play. And he used to phrase, brown is the new green with respect to some courses, you know, keeping the fairways obviously nice and lush, but allowing natural vegetation to be what it is off the fairways. If it turns brown, it turns brown. Not necessarily, you know, so you don't necessarily have to maintain those areas. We saw that come into play at uh, at Pinehurst at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. When you're putting the golf course together, how do you deal with, you know, maintenance and, and you know, design, whether you're going to, you know, allow, you know, that you know, rough to be maintained or not have rough and those sorts of things. How do you look at maintenance costs with respect to your designs? Well, the new irrigation systems, and uh, John Lawrence lives here in Atlanta, and it, they, the Toro Company um, started this valve and head and the individual head control, and so we're able to preserve water that way and only water the areas that you really want to be green. And I think the brown roughs is fine. I think to some degree the brown fairways aren't bad. You've got to keep the greens in good shape, though. And um, I just think that you got to make sure that you can still get the club under the ball. You can't get the two parts so that ball, so there's nothing for the football to stand on, or to rest on. Um, but, and I think we're, as American Society Golf Course Architects, we're into sustainability. We're not putting grass where it doesn't need to be. You can actually put a little computer device and track where people play. They determine where you can go to natural areas if it's really not a play, a place where the ball goes. So I think, um, through the American Society of Golf Course Architects and the National Superintendent Association, uh, we're working together on making the golf golf game game of golf much more sustainable. It's interesting. You mean a computer device? There's a computer device that allows you to know where players are hitting the golf ball and where they're playing from. That's right. You can put a little something in your pocket, and they can track the golfers. Um, this is going to be, I think, a major innovation, and you can track caddies and and see how fast they get the people to play. Uh, I think it's going to be something that will, people will carry with them just to determine uh, both where the ball goes and how fast they play. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I look forward to finding out more about that. That sounds outstanding. And speaking of, of caddies, Reese, do, do you talk to, you know, the, you know, the caddies or, or the, you know, the tour players after you've redesigned a golf course or you maybe you're in the midst of a project? Do you get their feedback about, hey, I like this, hey, I don't like that? Do you allow them to give you input about, you know, a, in a project you're on, and does that influence maybe some other future projects that you'll take on? Well, I've done a lot of major championship golf courses, um, a lot of uh, FedEx Cup courses, a lot of tour events, 
Um, and the one advice my father, Robert Trenton, gave me when I was uh, getting into the championship venues is that you better have a thick skin. So, um, you know, generally they ask me who, who likes, who's going to like the golf course. I said, well, the people that win or the people that do well <laughs> and the ones that don't do that well, they may criticize it. But, uh, you know, that's just the name of the game. Everybody has a different view of each golf course. Um, so, um, I listen, I watch how they play it. Uh, I listen to their comments and sometimes they, they, um, give me good advice. Sometimes they give me bad advice, but, uh, I think it's very subjective, and as you move along, you kind of learn, and then the next project you do, like Bell Reeve, where we're getting the PGA Championship next year in St. Louis, uh, you learn from the past. And speaking of you, you see, you know, you watch how they play it. When when they, a tournament's going on, major tournament or not, right? A, a tournament's being played on, on, on one of your courses. Are you making notes? Are you looking at it and going, ooh? You know, maybe I'm going to need to change that or, you know, hey, ooh, that went really well. I want to make sure that that's in the next design. Are you taking those sorts of notes to, you know, influence what you might do next at a current project? I do, but, I, you know, I set the stage. Uh, but the, the tour or the USGA, the PGA, they, uh, they direct the play. And so I kind of watch to see where they, how they set up the course, how high the rough is, how narrow the fairway is, because I don't control that. And then I, I look at the green speeds and the green contours and where they tuck the pin. Um, I, th- I think it was great when we reversed the uh, nines at East Lake last year, how uh, we made those last holes so they were a little more gettable than the than the other nine were old numbers, 16, 17, 18, were harder holes. They're like U.S. Open finish. And we made them more gettable, and Rory McIlroy made us all look good uh, because the tour set it up so spectacularly well. And uh, I think the setup is just as important as the design, and I think people are realizing that. And to that point about reversing the nines at Eastlake, what 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 led to that? Why 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 the re you know the the reversal of the nines? What 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 came along that said you know what maybe that would be better if we went the other way? Well, um, don't forget Augusta National reversed the nines way back when the Masters started, partly because. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, they played in March and, uh, holes 11, 12, and 13 still had frost on them when they were two, three, and four. So, uh, they reversed the nine so they wouldn't have frost on the fairways. And, uh, so we sort of, uh, complimented, uh, Augusta. We reversed the nine to make it a more, uh, volatile, more volatility in the, in the, uh, uh, completion. And, uh, we wanted more swings in the game. We wanted, we didn't want somebody to just get ahead and, uh, get the nose out front and then no one could catch them. So I think the reason we reversed the nine so that you can make an eagle like uh, t- Rory made uh, on 16, uh, sort of a swing hole, birdie, bogey hole on 17, and then an eagle birdie hole on 18. And it uh, makes it much more exciting. Just like Augusta one year, they made it too hard and didn't get enough roars. Now they've uh, set it up a little more uh, player friendly to get more roars. It's, it's entertainment. We want the excitement. We also want somebody they come from behind, and I think that's what's going to happen at East Lake from now on. And Reese, you know, when the, you, you mentioned that you know the tour is in charge of what, how it's set up, and the things of that nature, and, and you know, when you design a course, I'm imagining you have an idea of how you know the players should play it, the you know the the types of clubs that they should, you know, whether they're teeing off of the three wood or a driver, what kind of iron you envision that, you know, how they're going to approach the green and get onto the green. We've seen, you know, to the point about, you know, Augusta National and because of some of the ways that they've had to elongate that golf course, some of those 
some of those holes like seven play played differently than uh, what Bobby Jones I think had in mind for how that approach shot would be played. Do, do, does the tour ever set up a golf course and now you see how they're you know how the guys are having to play it or the gals are having to play it and you know do you give them feedback like wait a minute that's that's not how I designed this golf course that wasn't the vision of how I wanted this golf course to be laid out and played. Well, Augusta National has kept up with the time. Um, see, it's a parkland golf course. Uh, trees are very much a part of a parkland golf course. Some some clubs are taking down large swaths of trees. Augusta National sort of sets the pace and and tells you how important trees are as far as having to manufacture shots if you hit it offline. Um, so they've taken the, the the whole like seven and eighteen back, uh, but now they're playing much like when I first went to the Masters. Uh, a long time ago and, and really just made the course pretty much play the same. It's hard to do though on par fives because they're sitting, hitting so far off the team, especially on a hole like 15 where it's downhill. Um, you know, there's nothing to stop the ball from getting closer to the green. Uh, but I think that, um, we watch the way they set it up and, uh, a lot of times we will take par fives and make them par fours, which because they're hitting so far, but you can't do that at Augusta because of the history. So uh, they're, they're always going to have um, four par fives. But I'll tell you what, um, this year's event, the uh, par was pretty much of a standard, and I think it will continue to be so as, as they set it up with those uh, fast green speeds. Reese, just a couple more before we let you go. And uh, you, you've mentioned City Park. You've mentioned, you know, your course out in Mexico. Talk about some of the other projects that you're working on and the things that we can look forward to coming, you know, from you and your design company. Well, last year we worked on the Piedmont Driving Club, expanded the landing areas, uh, took out some uh, penal bunkers for the average golfer, uh, rebuilt the 18th and 16th greens. I mean, it's a spectacular golf course on, on a lake south of Atlanta. And then last year we also went to the Atlanta Athletic Club and uh, kind of took out a lot, of, a lot of the bunkers that the average golfer was going into and uh, redid the 14th green and continue to improve just to make sure the golf course really can challenge everybody isn't overly penal but also isn't too easy uh so i think things like that at Piedmont driving club and i saw the club or the trends we did that is a carolina country club and obviously reverse the nines at east lake and uh, we're doing a lot of that kind of work now and it's kind of fun Reese, how can our listeners, you know, stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or over social media? Well, I, I don't really partake much in social media, um, but um, I, there's all, all kinds of ways, especially when the championships come about. Um, and uh, I guess you Google my name and you'll find out what I'm doing. So uh, I, I guess that's what uh, everybody does. And I, I learn from them and I, I get feedback from the people that Google my name. Well, Reese, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a part of the show with me this morning. It's been a huge thrill getting to spend some time with you. I hope you'll come back and and uh, join me again soon because there's you know a lot more questions, a lot more stories and insights that I'd like to get from you. But it's been a like I say, a true honor to have you as part of the show this morning. Well, I'll be at East Lake this fall. We're uh, looking to make some more tweaks uh, there, just make it better and better, and bring it back to the old Donald Ross style. So I'll be around if you want me to do an interview during the Tour Championship. That'd be great. I appreciate it. I'll be glad to do that. Thank you so much. Reese, take care. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. All right. Thank you, Chris.
Take care, Reese. That is world-renowned golf course designer Reese Jones, and and folks, you know, like I say, and he says, you know, Google his name. Take a look at you know some of these golf courses that uh, that he has got, you know, whether it's new projects or some of the redesigns. I'm telling you, you know, I, I looked at you know some of the work he did out at Torrey Pines and at at Cog Hill Falcons Fire. I think is a is a wonderful golf course. So is Hags Point. He's, he's done a lot of really great stuff, and the and the, the holes are laid out so beautifully. Please, you know, do, do that. Check, you know, Google his name, Reese Jones, and it's R E E S. So Reese Jones and uh, Reese Jones Golf, and take a look at what he's done. Absolutely spectacular, folks. You're going to enjoy it. All right, before we get to my next guest, Terry Kohler, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. Folks, for a fun, interactive experience and the best selection of golf clubs, apparel, and gear for golfers of all levels, check out our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. Whether you're a pro or a beginner, you know, they're your one-stop golf shop for great golf deals and all your golfing needs. You can save yourself a little time by shopping and placing your order online at PGATourSuperstore.com. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. I also want to remind you about our friends at the Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip trainers. And, folks, if you haven't checked out the Orange Whip yet, boy, you really you really got to go do that. You know, If you're looking for a great way to limber up before your rounds of golf and improve your club head speed or just sort of shake the rust off your, you know, your golf swing if you haven't gotten back out there yet since, you know, since last fall, then you need to go check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to loosen up and get prepared for your rounds of golf than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father, 73, he plays you know, golf five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me get loose for my rounds as well as you know, improving my club head speed. Take a look at what a great training aid that it really is. And I wouldn't say it, folks, if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. And folks, you know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the Tee and, you know, have a positive approach, you know, both in life and on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering, you know, with, you know, our friends over at SyncIt.com. You know, you want to keep that, you know, positive thought in your mind, right? Sync it, right? Sync the putt, right? Keep that in your mind when you're playing your great, you know, your rounds of golf and even when you're off the golf course because the more you look at it, the more you think about it, the more positive it is and more ingrained that gets into you. And they've got a great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any golf tournament, right, you, you got to sink the final putt. We wake up every day, right, to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get better every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams in life with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. And I also want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean that are making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast both on their website and on their mobile app. You can see us featured right there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcasting app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. It's got a lot of great features that help you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get the app now on Google Play or the Apple App Store. So you can join more of the podcasts that you love, and we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. Again, check this out online at podbean.com. We're going to get to my next guest, Terry Kohler, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Terry Cole. Let me give you a little more background on Terry. 
He's from Cuero, Texas, which is a small town southeast of San Antonio. The city is known for being the turkey capital of the world. Terry graduated with his degree in marketing from Texas A&M. He was the founder and the president of Ray, uh, Ray Cook Golf back in 1995. 2011, he became the founder and president of Score Golf, which produced some of the most innovative wedges with their V-Sole design that you know the, the golf equipment industry has ever seen. 2014, he revitalized the Ben Hogan golf brand and became their president and CEO. He's got over half a dozen golf club patents, nearly 100 iron wedge and putter designs to his credit, and I'm thrilled to have him with me this morning on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for joining me on the show. Well, good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be uh, be with you. I appreciate that. So, Terry, so much to get into with you this morning. I, you know, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. I read that you know you were a kid. You like to take things apart and see how they worked. And you know, it seems perfect that a kid who liked to do that went on and you know got his degree in marketing, sort of married those things up, and became a force in the golf club industry. But talk about how all that came about for you. Well, I just I, I don't remember life before golf. I was very blessed. My father was a very good player. I, I grew up on a on a little nine hole golf course in the town of Cuero, as you mentioned, and you know that was our life: hunting and fishing and golf is what we did. My brother, my father, and I. And I was very fortunate to have some role models, a PGA professional there back in the fifties and sixties that nurtured us. And so I've always had a love of the game, and and as you mentioned, I've always had a curiosity taking things apart and working with my father on you know, rebuilding guns and reloading ammunition and, you know, just this and that and, and taking fishing reels apart to, to take care of them. And so it, that, that curiosity of how things work just as I got out of college and, and into the marketing and advertising world and got involved with Ray Cook putters and Joe Powell golf out of Florida, I, I began to channel that curiosity toward golf clubs and, and began to take my own ideas about how to make a golf club work better. And Terry, one of your very early designs was a putter, the Destiny putter that you designed back in the mid-1980s that, you know, you had 30 tour players used, including using them in several majors. Talk about where did that inspiration come from to design that putter? Well, I was just looking at, at different putters on the market, and, and I've always been, uh, I was a, always modeled my game after Ben Ogan, and, and I gave short shrift to putting at the time, and, and I just felt like there was a way to stabilize a putter better, and um had seen some designs that that kind of gave me some ideas and you know very little just comes out of the clear blue most good ideas whether it's cars or guns or golf clubs or whatever they come from looking at something that's in the market and saying I think I can do that better and that's really what stimulated me and the destiny had a, a short life I learned a lot about being an entrepreneur and, and started down that path of, of starting companies and this kind of thing but it was a very stable putter. In fact, I still have a few prototypes of that. Again, the guy, that's uh, 35 years ago now, I guess. And uh, I still have a few prototypes of that that work their way into the golf bag pretty regularly because it's still a, a, a marvelous performing tool. And, and Terry, when, when you look back at equipment from, you know, the 1970s, right, and, and, and the great things that, you know, you've done, you know, more recently with the Ben Hogan Golf Company, talk about how much materials, right, and the technologies – have advanced, you know, in the last 30, 40 years? Well, you know, and I'm kind of a pragmatic in that respect, Chris. And, you know, the, the thing that I think about is, you know, a really good iron shot, a really good wedge shot is really no different than it was, you know, 40 or 50, 60 years ago. I mean, a good shot is a good shot. 
And I personally believe that the feel of a solid forged blade is really hard to beat. Um, I'm not a big fan of the hollow designs and, and irons particularly. Um, you know, you can't argue the performance of, of hollow woods. I personally think they've gotten too big. Um, and, and I think the game has gotten so myopically focused on distance that we lose track of, of, you know, it's really about making the golf ball do what you want it to do and not just go far. And, you know, I would, I look at just this week, I, they're having the high school playoffs championships in the state of Texas regional and, and state will be next week. And all of these kids hit the ball a mile, but these kids are shooting 85s and 88s. And I mean, there's some good players, don't get me wrong, but these kids all hit it a mile, but they don't know where it's going. And they don't really understand to me that the game is about shaping the shot to fit the situation. And that golf ball doesn't know whether you have a seven iron in your hand or an eight iron in your hand or a nine iron in your hand. All it, all that's in front of you is I've got this many yards to the flag. I want the ball to fly this way so that it will perform this way when it gets on the green. And, you know, there's no, there's no bonus points for hitting the uh, eight iron instead of a six iron. If the six iron will make it do what you want it to do, then by all means hit that club. So I'm a little distressed by the, by the emphasis on power and, and the separation between the pro game and the amateur game is, is that that gap is getting wider because these guys are such big athletes now. I won't go on and on about that. <laughs> you know, Terry, you know, you started, you're talking, you mentioned wedges a moment ago. You started score golf, right? Focused on wedges. And when I look at those clubs and then looked at the wedges that you designed more recently for, you know, for the Ben Hogan sets, they look very similar to what I saw you know, back what you did with score to what I see now in the TK wedges and the V sole design. Talk about what makes those wedges unique in the marketplace. Well, I think there are two things. There are two key elements of, of that wedge design and the, and, the, and the evolution of it from my old company, Eidolon and into score and, and into Hogan. And that is that my research showed that golfers are, are con- they're frustrated because their wedge shots go too high. They don't know how far they're going to go. And my personal belief is that's a function of the design of the wedge with all the weight low in the sole. And if you look at wedges, and I've been very outspoken about this, the offering from most companies looks alike. Uh, the weighting, the golf club, the graphics are different, obviously, but the function of the club is the same and the ball goes high and it causes distance control problems. Um, and, and we use our wedges now because wedges have gone down into the 42, 45, 48 degree range. You know, we use our wedges for full swings and, and we need controllable trajectories. So all of my designs and the evolution of my design, the things I'm continuing to work on is to move the center of mass higher and higher in the golf club to give you that penetrating trajectory, which also increases spin. And that's what golfers are looking for. So the weighting of the golf club is designed to give you better trajectories and better spin than what you'll get out of conventional wedges. The sole design that I came up with about 25 years ago now, the V-sole, the bounce and all of this turf interaction is very confusing for people. And I challenge the notion of, I'm sorry, this is getting a little long maybe, but I challenge okay. the notion you can fit bounce because turf conditions are continually changing, not just from day to day and week to week, but shot to shot, hole to hole, you're going to encounter all different kinds of turf. So how can you fit the sole to any particular turf? And I also challenge this sweeper, slider, digger thing because my observation of amateur golfers is they don't take consistent divots. You know, they they take a thin divot this time and a heavy divot next time, either accidentally or on purpose. You watch the tour players. Sometimes they dig, dig these big beaver pelts when they hit a wedge shot. 
because they're trying to do a certain thing. And next time they nip it and barely clip the grass. So if you're changing your swing path intentionally or accidentally, and you're changing turf conditions, because that's just nature of golf, how do you build a bounce that can handle all that variety? And the V-sole puts a very high bounce on the first quarter inch of the sole and a very low bounce on the, on the trailing part of the sole. So the, the sole just will react to the turf conditions in the swing in the most positive, versatile way that I could come up with to design. And we have just a, a big following out there that will rave about the V-sole. So, uh, and the score wedges and the Hogan wedges. I'm very proud of that work. Yeah, it's it's fantastic stuff. When I was watching the videos, I thought, "Wow, that's that's genius right there." And talk, Terry, talk about well, how you, you that. how that. What's that? I said thank you for that. Oh, I'm absolutely. not sure I would use that word, it, but thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it really is. Talk about how that V sole design helps. You know, and if we find ourselves in you know in, in a bunker in a you know a greenside bunker. Talk about the ability to use that VSO and that bounce, you know, design that you talked about. How that helps us get the ball out of the out of the sand. Well, you know, when you go into that bunker, that sand may be firm, it may be fluffy, it may be loose, and if you've bought wedges with a fixed conventional bounce, you very likely, if you bought a high bounce wedge and the bunkers are firm and in that golf course or on that hole or in that part of the bunker, you're going to be handicapped. And the VSO, um, the VSO can be opened up and give you the effect of a high bounce wedge. It can be squared up and give you the effect of a low bounce wedge. It really makes it where you don't have to think about the bounce. Just go hit the golf shot. And that's what we hear from, from our owners. And I've heard that for 10, 20 years since I invented that, that I don't have to think about the bounce. Just hit the golf shot. And I mean, that's what we want to do is make golf easier, right? Right. And Terry, we sort of, you know, banted the, you know, the Ben Hogan brand around and, and it seems it's been a brand that continually struggles to stay afloat. You know, we were very close to, you know, having a deal with the Ben Hogan golf company, you know, last summer and then, you know, and we worked through it and all the way, you know, to earlier this year. And then unfortunately things fell apart. Why do you think the brand, you know, struggles so much to, to sustain a presence in the golf equipment business? Well, the, you know, the, and it's not just the Ben Hogan brand. I mean, it, this is a very tough industry right now. And, and the nature of the industry, and, and I'll, I'm just going to go out on limb. You know, I re- retired from the Ben Hogan company after getting it going and, and stepped aside and, and another gentleman came in and took over. And, and, you know, the company has gone through its trials and tribulations. But, you know, small brands have a difficult time. The, the, the industry has become so dominated by massive tour budgets, massive advertising budgets, massive you know, giveaways and promotions through the retailers, very short product life cycles that the retailer really demands that more than the consumer demands it, in my opinion, and in my research. But it's a very challenging environment. I still think we have way too many retail stores, you know, just based on the number of golfers. Um, you know, it's a, it's a challenging industry environment. The thing that doesn't change is golfers want high-grade equipment. They want high-performance equipment. And as long as they want that, somebody's going to make it. And I believe the work we were doing at Ben Hogan, the designs I propagated there, the wedges, the Fort Worth irons, the, which is a phenomenal single-piece forged blade that defies all the old wives' tales about how hard blades are to hit. The PTX irons, the hybrids, everything we did was designed with a specific performance characteristic in mind. And it was about, it was about making the golf ball do what you want it to do, which I talked about earlier. But you know, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, if you look at the biggest company in the industry, Callaway has just recently become to be a, a high performance company 
they're approaching that with very good leadership, I think. But if you look at a 15, 18-year history of Callaway prior to this this management, I mean, this company did $15, $18 billion in business and made no money. And, I mean, you can't sustain that in the real world. And, you know, Golfsmith went out of business. Retailers are in trouble. Big companies are in trouble. I, I personally think the dynamics of the industry are in a state of evolution, and they'll shake themselves out. Um, and it's just a very difficult environment for a small brand. You know, we sold direct to consumer at Ben Hogan and let people deal direct with us. They could deal with stores if they wanted, but it was a great model for the consumer to get expertise with their golf clubs. And that's what we were always about. And Terry, talk about the man, Ben Hogan. What was it like the first time you met Mr. Hogan? You know, I, I grew up idolizing Ben Hogan and I grew up with power golf and five lessons. My dad had played an exhibition match with Mr. Hogan before the war. And so, you know, he was revered around our houses, you know, the man when it came to golf and was kind of my singular sports hero. Um, but you know, Ben Hogan had a mastery of the golf ball. He had a, a, a personal presence of being a man of few words, uh, very well thought out. Uh, when he answered a question, he was known to just pause for, you know, moments on end, it seemed like an eternity because he didn't make flippant remarks. And I, it's a great inspiration to me. I'm not anywhere close to his level of calculation, but he just to me was an ultra inspiring figure, both personally. Uh, I think what he, what he did with the golf ball and, and the game of golf, I, I don't think it's ever been equaled. I have great respect for Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods and all these more modern stars. But when you look at the agronomy and the equipment that Hogan and his peers, Byron Nelson, Sam Snead, that they toiled with in the 50s and 40s. Uh, to me, it's just remarkable the kind of scores they were able to shoot and the consistency um, that they were able to, particularly Ben Hogan. I mean, in, from 1940 to 1960, he never finished out of the top 10 of a major championship. For 20 years, never out of the top 10. I mean, that, that, nobody's ever had a legacy like that. I'm just in awe of the man. I'm, and I'm in awe of his legend. I'm in awe of his history and just everything about him. He's a great inspiration to me. Do you, do you have a favorite story that you like to tell, you know, family, friends, the fellas, you know, about, you know, your time, you know, getting to be around Mr. Hogan? Well, I was only around Mr. Hogan one time and, and it was, it was everything that I, that I had learned about Mr. Hogan up to that point. And I told him the story. I said, Mr. Hogan, you may not remember, but, you and Jug McSpadden played an exhibition match with my father and my uncle, Dr. Kirkham, in Houston, 1939. And he looked at me for the longest, and he rolled his eyes up in his head like he was looking for that memory. And he was well in his 80s at the time. And he looked at me with the most sincere look, and he said, I'm sorry, Terry, I don't remember that. And I could tell he really knew it was important to me, and he wanted to remember. It showed the gentle human side of the man. And then I showed him the putter design that I was working on for the Hogan Company at the time. And he looked this putter up and down, just scrutinized it. This is 100% machine milled putter. And he handed the putter back to me with only the thing he said was, the line is crooked. So I went back to the guy that machined the prototype. And I was telling him the story. And I said, of course, I know the line isn't crooked because it's 100% CNC milled. And he goes, well, let's go check. And he came back and he said, that line is three thousandths of an inch off dead square. I'll never know whether Mr. Hogan could see that or whether it just looked crooked because, you know, he was nearly blind in his left eye from the automobile crash. And I don't know if it just looked crooked to him or if he could really see that, but I'll never know the answer to that. But it, it was, it was both sides of Mr. Hogan, you know, and, uh, all in one little, you know, 10 or 15 minute visit. It was great. 
You know, Terry, I, I read that he believed that the golf club is 90% the shaft and 10% how it hits the dirt, which in my mind seems backwards. But, you know, that's that's what he believed. Is that something that he tried to instill when you, when you you know, took over, you know, sort of leading the brand and, and uh, you know, some of the, the le- you know, the legacies that he left behind? Is that how you view it? Is, is the golf club 90% shaft and 10% head? You know, I'm not sure I agree with those percentages, and I think it changes from club to club. You know, I mean, for example, how it goes through the dirt doesn't apply at all to a driver. It's all about the shaft and head combination. Um, but on a wedge, how it goes through the dirt is much more influential than it is, say, on a fairway wood or, or maybe a middle iron. So I think it changes. But there's no question that the shaft is the engine of the golf club. That shaft is doing a lot of dynamic things from the top of the backswing to impact in that fraction of a second where it's, you think about the golf club is accelerating from zero at the top of the backswing to 80, 90, 100, 120 miles an hour at impact in two-tenths of a second. And there's a lot of action happening in that shaft. And getting the right shaft in your golf clubs, uh, to me, is one of the real secrets. I mean, there are no bad golf clubs in the market today. Head designs are good. I don't care what brand you go to. Some are better than others, but they're all good. But Getting the, uh, you know, the wrong shaft can make a good head design not work for you, whether it's a driver or an iron or whatever. The right shaft can make a mediocre head design be perfect for you. And, um, it, it, there's no question the shaft is really important. Like, I'm not sure I subscribed to the 9010, but you know, Hogan was a company and, and Mr. Hogan was a man that believed a lot about shaft dynamics. I mean, Hogan pioneered lightweight steel shafts with the apex that's still sought after. Um, you know, they, they did a lot of pioneering in, in the vector shaft and, and things like that. So, Mr. Hogan was very driven by research and, and performance, and the shaft was a big part of that subject matter. Terry, one more before we let you go. And, you know, when I look at, you know, the work that you've done, the design and the construction of your clubs seem way too good to lose. Will we see you do something more like, you know, you did with Score or what, what you were doing with Ben Hogan Golf? Hopefully we still see your influence and the, and the great creativity like we were talking about earlier in your VSOL design clubs. That's going to still be around. Are we still going to see you? Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm not sure where and how and when. Um, I've got some things that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not through yet. I'm only 65 years old, which I think about how old that was when my father didn't quite make 65 and I feel very young as five. My batteries are recharged and I don't know what the future of the Hogan company is going to be and, and whether I'll be involved in it or not, but you know, it still has to shake out, but um, I've got some things I still want to do and, and uh, it's finding the right, the right environment to, to flex that creativity. And, you know, I think golfers still need, need a lot of things they're not getting. And, you know, I, I want to help people play better golf. That's what motivates me every day. Terry, how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing and, and, and the things you might come up with in the future, whether you're, you know, they can follow you somewhere online or over social media? How can they do it? Well, I'm really not that engaged in social media. I would invite them to go to my LinkedIn profile and sign up. I'm going to start writing my blog again. You know, I wrote for many years, I wrote under the moniker, the wedge guy. I wrote six or 700 articles out there. A lot of them are still searchable and um, you know, and I'm, I've, I've had several people suggest me and thank you for this for another time suggesting that I get back into the, into the fray and, 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 and be, be heard because I think that I, I have a lot of good ideas for golfers to help them navigate the, the equipment water. So, you know, sign up on my LinkedIn. It's Terry Kaler, K-O-E-H-L-E-R and, um, and watch for a, a resurgence of the, of the website, the wedge guy. 
That's great stuff, Terry. Thank you so much for your time this morning. So many other things I wanted to get into with you, just not enough time. I hope you'll come back again real soon to share more of your stories and insights with you. It's been fantastic spending this time with you. Well, thank you for having me. And, and anytime uh, you have a slot you want to fill it, just give me a few days notice and I can be available. I, I enjoy talking to golfers and, and doing these kind of shows. Well, I appreciate it, Terry. Thanks so much. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon. In between now and then, Terry, all the best to you and your family. Thank you very much. Same to you and all your listeners. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Take care. Right. Okay. Thanks. That's Terry Kaler. And, Terry, you know, again, Terry's stuff is absolutely outstanding. Please. And there's a lot of videos out there that Terry kind of explains some of these things in greater detail, particularly about the wedges and, and some of the designs he's had with, uh, with the Ben Hogan Company. He talks about, you know, the Fort Worth irons and the PTX irons. And, and you know, like I said, folks, I was very excited when we had, the, you know, the potential of, of uh, partnering with the Ben Hogan Company. And, and the reason why I was excited about it is because of the designs that Terry has and put into those golf clubs so please I, I encourage you you know to go out there online and take a look at you know just google terry or go on youtube because some of those videos are there for you to see and uh, that v soul i'm telling you when I, I wasn't just saying that to terry you know just because he was on the show that's the, the, the bounce on that and that v soul design on those wedges is genius it really is fantastic and hopefully we get to have terry you know on again real soon hopefully some you know positive things happen whether it's with the Ben Hogan company or some other things that uh, that he decide, decides to do because, like I said, I was very excited about those iron sets, and unfortunately it just didn't work out, at least at this point. But uh, hopefully they will work out again sometime in the very near future. Terry's fantastic. Look forward to having him back on the show again real soon. All right, I've got my next guest, Paul Grangard, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Paul on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now back with me and making his sixth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Alan Edmonds CEO Paul Grandgard. Over the last few years, Paul has become you know a wonderful friend and a wonderful guest here on the show. I've really enjoyed getting to know him over the last few years. I've enjoyed learning you know not only you know, about the great, you know, shoes and boots and, you know, other, uh, you know, golf shoes and things that the Allen Edmonds company makes, but their great line of other, you know, fantastic sports and historical related items. You've heard me brag about them on the show, you know, several times when Paul has, you know, joined me and even when he hasn't just, you know, because I, I love this stuff, you know, they've got the, the golf club, you know, the golf, uh, or the cufflinks, I should say, made from wood beams at, uh, uh, beams at the, uh, at Churchill Downs. We got the Derby coming up next Saturday. You're going to want to go on allenedmonds.com to check out those Yankee fans. The cufflinks, you know, with inserts from game used balls from Yankee games, Celtic fans, you know, cufflinks from, you know, the old Boston Garden Parquet floor, bottle opener, folks. Bottle openers made from three golf balls that they fished out of the pond around the 17th green at the TPC Sawgrass, right? The site of the, the Players' Championship. So many other very unique and very cool designs. And, you know, also, I never considered blue dress shoes until I saw the dress blue collection that they have now on AllenEdmonds.com that look absolutely fantastic. And as you can tell, I, I love so much about the Allen Edmonds brand and the great things that they do and how well crafted everything on that site is. You know, I'm, and, you know, I'm even more excited to have Paul back on the show with me again this morning. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for coming back here and uh, being a part of Next on the Tee. Morning, Chris. Great to be with you again. So, Paul, since the last time we spoke, the private equity firm that, that owned Allen Edmonds sold it to Calaris, you know, which is a, you know, global, you know, footwear company. Talk about what it's like uh, for you guys now to be a part of a, a family of uh, shoe brands. 
Well, you know, going back to 2006, John Stolenwerk, the man who bought uh, Alan Edmonds in the 1980s from the Allen family, uh, decided to retire and sell the company and uh, sold it to a private equity firm. And then that private equity firm in 2013 sold it to another private equity firm, which hardly ever happens. Usually uh, the exit is to uh, a strategic buyer, somebody already in the industry. Um, and last year, just about this time, um, the Calaris folks, a major shoe company out of St. Louis, they own famous footwear retail stores. They also own some great women's brands. Naturalizer is one of them, Via Spiga, Franco Sardo. They wanted to get in the men's side of the business in a big way, and they came to our owners, and uh, it was early on in the investment. They didn't expect to be selling, but uh, Calaris was eager and uh, aggressive, and we ended up at the end of December then becoming a part of the Calaris family, and it's going great. Uh, they really understand shoes. They have sourcing relationships all around Europe uh, for leathers. Uh, some tanneries that we hadn't had relationships with before we're now able to do some business with they obviously are a big company so they have clout that we don't have uh, as a smaller company that helps us with our cost structures and and then most importantly they're, they're bringing some additional design expertise to us including a fellow who's a really great guy who worked for Nike uh, for over 20 years and was chief creative officer there for a while so we're going to bring to the men's dress and casual business a little bit of what uh, Nike brought to athletics going way back, and uh, we're hoping to have similar success. Yeah, and, and you know, Paul, I was reading in one of your blog entries that you've got available on AllenEdmonds.com. You, you talked about how Calaris is, you know, committed to you know growing and enhancing the brand and the product line. And as you mentioned, you know, this this development with the with the guy from Nike. Where are you looking to grow and enhance the brand? You know, what, what's on the you know on the you know whether it's you know short term or or sort of not too distant you know future. What are you guys looking at to do differently or you know add to the line? Well, you've done a great job introducing us. Uh, you know, we really are eager to be a lifestyle brand. Men, as everybody knows, are hunters. Uh, they don't really like to peck for when they go shopping. And um, we think we understand our guy re really well, whether it's uh, what he wants to wear in a casual environment or what he wants to wear at work. And we want to outfit him above the ankle, too, not just uh, with great shoes. We're going to lead with great shoes. And one of our big thrusts is to develop a much broader offering of casual shoes, Chris. Uh, but we also want to, we've got pants now that are selling really well, and I'm getting a lot of comments from people about how much they like them. Um, and then you know, we've got these great shirts, sport coats that you can wear at work, wear to uh, an evening out. It's, um, it's all about the man and the customer. So we want to be a lifestyle brand and uh, we want to take that outside the U.S. as well. We're already in Europe and in Asia, but um, it's small relative to the side of, size of our business and we think there's a huge opportunity for us around the globe um, as your listeners. And by the way, I want to once again thank your listeners for their service to our country the way I always do when I'm on your show. I, mean, I admire veterans and active service men and women so much. Um, and they all know how much the world respects America, and uh, American brands are a part of that respect. Um, so we want to take our Americanism on the road much better than we have in the past over the long term going forward. Stores outside of the United States, uh, we're hoping to open in Canada here in the next 
a year and a half or so, and um, and then ultimately back to I lived in Germany for three years and uh, left to go back there as a uh, as a uh, businessman and open up uh, a store in in Frankfurt and Munich and really get things going over there. And Paul, to your point a moment ago, talking about you know out, outfitting the man above the ankle, right? You know, I, you guys are so you know known for being you know such great you know shoemakers and then the great styles and innovations you've had in footwear. But I don't think people know enough about you know the fact that you know you guys do t-shirts, polo shirts, sports shirts, sweaters, sport coats, all kind of jeans, all those sorts of things. Talk about you know how you do go about you know you you actually do you know you outfit guys right from foot from head to toe. We do now even hats. Uh, we got some great hats, uh, actually, uh, for colder weather in particular, woolen baseball caps and uh, some other kind of hats. But, um, you know, the only products that we make ourselves are the shoes, and we make them in the United States. The vast majority of the shoes we sell are made in the United States. We have some others that are made in Italy with partner factories, and then we have our own factory down in the Dominican Republic that makes boat shoes and some of the lower-cost shoes that um, aren't, you know, intended to last for 20, 30 years the way our dress shoes are. But um, we work with uh, three different uh, leather plants around the country for making our belts in the United States. We work with three different bag manufacturers for making our business leather goods, our wallets and briefcases and duffel bags. Also made in the U.S., we work with two different sport coat companies in the United States, uh, one in the Northeast, one in the Southeast, uh, to help us make our sport coats. So we've got a, a team um, in our headquarters who work closely with these different suppliers on design and on material selection, fabric selection, leather selection. And we, we put it together with them and then they make it for us and uh, they do it to match our men. We'll always lead with great shoes for that guy. But uh, as I say, we think we understand them well enough to pick out a sport coat for them or two. And I don't want to gloss over a point that you just made when you were talking through that piece, Paul. Your, your shoes are designed to last. You mentioned 20 to 30 years. You know, for, for customers that might go online and say, ooh, I don't know that I can afford Allen Edmonds shoes, right? The point is these shoes are going to last you, to your point, 20 to 30 years. And I also love the great program that you guys have, you know, that, you know, people can go and get their shoes refinished. And, you know, for, you know, 50 bucks, you know, when that shoe might start to wear a little bit or it might show a little bit of age, for 50 bucks, you can get a shoe that almost looks exactly brand new again. Yeah, except that it's still molded to your foot the way it uh, it was when you uh, broke it in. So, yeah, it's it's a fact of, or it's a, a outgrowth of the fact that our shoes are made in a certain construction that's easily taken apart, even though it holds together so well. Uh, so we're able to take the sole off the bottom of the shoe without taking the whole bottom of the shoe off, take the sole and the heel off, cut through that stitching, and then restitch it up and put a brand new sole, brand new heel on, repair any uh, leather marks, and turn it into a shoe that from the top looks exactly like the shoe you've been wearing, only cleaned up and fixed, and then from the bottom it's brand new. And uh, we put our famous cork layer. We scrape out the old cork layer, which may have gotten a little too too squished, too compacted, and we'll put a brand new one in there for you. Uh, but the leather that's on top of that cork layer 
is molded to your foot already. So it's very much like a custom-made um, cushion for you in the shoe. So we uh, we take great care. There are over 200 steps in making those shoes. And uh, as you say, you know, the ability to keep a great pair of shoes, and these are classic shoes that never go out of style. So the, the ability to keep your your best business shoe for 20 years with uh, an occasional fix-up like that, really much more uh, economic for somebody than buying a pair of shoes that'll last you two years plus or minus six months, and then you got to buy the full price again. So it's um, plus women notice shoes and interviewers at companies notice shoes and people who make promotions notice shoes. I mean, uh, you, the, again, you're folks listening in know what it means to have a good-looking pair of shoes uh, in the military. They make sure you you do that, and that's true when you get out in the environment. I can't tell you how many times I can tell what layer of a company somebody's working in just by the shoes they're wearing in the elevator. I mean, you don't see the senior executives going up and down the elevator with some of these uh, cheaper shoes that uh, people buy and have to recycle every uh, two years. And, Paul, you know, we've been promoting on our website, you've got a great program out there to help support our active military members, first responders, and students. Talk about the program and what you guys offer to those folks. Yeah, you know, we want, we want men coming out of the services or out of college looking for their their first civilian jobs to uh, be able to get into our shoes with the first pair uh so we we have a big discount for active military for um first responders that that discounts the same and then we have a package deal for people coming out of school as well uh shoes the matching belt it's very important that the belt and the shoes match in terms of leather color and and it, it's a real plus if they also match in terms of design and then um throwing a pair of shoe trees into that package. So it's a percentage discount because we want it available online for our military folks and our first responders. And then the student discount is more of a package that you can buy in a store, um, both of which end up being about a 30% off opportunity for uh, for getting started in our shoes. Great deal. And, and Paul, you know, as we talk golf here, you know, obviously on this show, and you've got a wonderful line of golf shoes, you know, your own line with the Redan Golf Shoes, plus a couple that you've partnered with, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas to design. Talk about the look and the benefits that each one of those shoes has. Well, again, a lot of shoes today are made in China where they take um, leathers or near leathers and they wrap them around a mold and then they injection mold a rubber sole around it and it's glued on and you know, even if you're uh, environmentally conscious, you you should be concerned about that kind of shoe construction. Um, and that's really true in the golf business, whereas our shoes that we did with Jack, the shoes that we do on our own still um, under the honors collection name, you know, they're the traditional way to make a shoe with uh, the sole stitched on around the edge. And, um, we, you know, we're one of the last remaining makers of those classic golf shoes where they great water-resistant, highly water-resistant uh, leather bottom and, um, and you know, soft spikes twisted into them that uh, remind you of maybe how you learn to play golf. Certainly, uh, it's certainly how I learned to play golf. And when I wear them, I feel like I'm back to when I was younger and played a lot better. It helps me actually uh, get a feel for the game again when I wear those shoes. So 
Um, and, and the Jack Nicholas shoes, I have a arch problem that I think has come from hitting so many practice balls and twisting my, my arch up as I go through the swing on my left foot. And, uh, it never bothers me when I'm wearing those Jack Nicholas shoes. Never. And if I have a problem going to the course and put those shoes on, it goes away. So, um, we're actually still selling those on our website and I'd encourage anybody to give them a try, especially if they want a little more stability under their feet, either because they want a more stable swing or they want, they've got a foot issue and they don't want their feet to hurt at the end of the round. And Paul, I, I gotta be honest with you. I'm a little disappointed to see the Fort Worth golf shoes out there on clearance. They've become my favorite golf shoes. They're very comfortable and I love how they look as well. You know, any chance you guys are going to be doing something along those lines again soon? Well, the great thing about our company, uh, Chris, and our, you know, we have our own plant. It's just on the other side of a wall from where I sit and uh, I go back there all the time. So if any one of your listeners wants us to make a Fort Worth <coughs> for them, you know, they should just email me at uh, uh, P Grandgard, P G R A N G A A R D, Alan Edmonds dot com. Yeah, or get in touch with you, Chris, and you know how to contact me, and I'll make sure that they, they get a pair. You know, we're clearancing them because it just doesn't make sense for us at the volume of golf shoes we're doing, which is not as nearly as many as I once dreamed we would. Um, it doesn't make sense for us to make a spot in our inventory, uh, especially as we're growing our casual shoe offering. There's a limit to how many spots you got in your warehouse. We're kind of capacity constrained on our warehouse right now. So we're clearancing them out, which means they're a great uh, deal if you can find your size. If you can't find your size, contact you or contact me and uh, we'll make a pair for it. Yeah, they're, and they're they're outstanding, and it was a lot of fun, you know, when uh, when I first uh, you know discovered those uh, those shoes and the styles because they they remind me so much of the the styles of shoes that Gary players worn over the years, and I had mentioned that on Twitter, and we had a nice little back and forth uh, between you, me, and Mister Player over that. It was a lot of fun. I think those shoes are outstanding, and again, like I said, you know, they they're extremely comfortable. I love the look and the feel of them, and and one of the things you said to me uh, when I was getting the shoes is, you know, Chris, you're gonna love how those those feel when you're walking on the golf course they've got a, a traditional feel to them like you were mentioning a moment ago as well and they really do i'm telling you those things are absolutely outstanding i love them you know even if you don't want to make them your everyday golf shoe, it's, it's great to wear them on a nice day and um, just uh, really enjoy the tradition of the game I, i'm holding in my hand right now a golf glove from the 1970s that gary player signed for my dad uh they were friends and acquaintances uh, back then so uh, he's a special guy and he was wearing shoes that look an awful lot like those shoes they weren't ours I don't think but uh, he sure was sporting the exact look on the first tee at the Masters this year so uh, that's right. the look of those shoes they're very good looking yeah Paul, just a couple more before we let you go. And one of the things we've never touched on before is the line of sunglasses that you guys offer. So many golfers like to wear sunglasses out on the golf course. And obviously, the, you know, in, just in sort of everyday life, you got some very cool aviator style glasses, you know, available. Talk about your sunglasses. Well, that's the same thing again with uh, going to a company and uh, sourcing some sunglasses um, so that we can have them in our store and, and, uh, help our guy out if he's looking for a pair and doesn't want to shop around too much. So they're really very high quality sunglasses and, uh, they're great on, on the golf course. They're great out on a boat on the water. And, uh, it's, um, it's a small part of our business, but it's just, it's part of 
you know, we we want our guy to enjoy his time in our store, so it's part of the fun of being in our store, seeing things like that. Paul, one more before we let you go. And one of the other brands that Calaris has on its umbrella is called Carlos by Carlos Santana. He's got a a line of uh, women's shoes, which is very interesting. Any chance you're going to get an opportunity to sit down and talk with him, maybe swap designs uh, with Carlos Santana? Well, the CEO has a, a guitar by uh, signed by Carlos Santana in her office. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I should ask that question. I haven't yet. We're so focused on the men's side of the business that I hadn't thought about that. They also have shoes by Fergie of uh, Black Eyed Pea fame. So uh not sure who I'd rather meet. <laughs> yeah, good problem to have. Yeah. Paul, before we let you go, remind our listeners about how they can, you know, follow you, the Allen Edmonds brand, whether it's online or over social media, and, and also, as you've alluded to, where you've got some traditional retail locations as well. Well, we have uh, 72 stores open around the country now. We're going to be opening in San Diego, uh, where there are certainly a lot of our uh, service people uh, stationed uh, in, later this year. But right now, we've got two stores in L.A. and, and uh, certainly all along the east coast in the major cities along the east coast uh where we've got several stores now five or six open in the washington dc area including one in uh, the pentagon park just right across from the pentagon so you can find our stores um all around the country you can go to our website which is www.allenedmonds.com a-l-l-e-n-e-d-m-o-n-d-s and uh do for a locator or uh we've worked very hard to make our e-commerce site one of the best in the business and um, it's a great way to get to know our company uh, and then we have people standing by in port washington wisconsin ready to help you if you, if you have any questions about the products or about um, sizing or anything like that you can uh, call the phone number that's on the website as well and you'll you'll get a real person in wisconsin to talk to you so a lot of ways to get to know us and we're on facebook of course instagram uh, all the social media. We're we're at the front edge of what's going on in modern retailing today. It's always, Paul, great to get to spend some time with you. I always treasure our time together. I hope you'll continue to come back and share all the great things that you guys have going on at Allen Edmonds and uh, you know spend some more time with me because I always have such a great time when you're a part of the show. Well, you're terrific to talk to, Chris. It's a lot of fun to be with you. So definitely I'll come back whenever you want. Thanks very much for having me today. All right, Paul. Take care. All the best to you and everyone at Allen Edmonds and uh, to your family as well. I look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully sometime real soon. Same to you. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye. Take care, Paul. That's Paul Grandgard, the CEO of Allen Edmonds. And again, allenedmonds.com. And, and folks, you just, you've got to peruse the site, right? Because they've got so much great stuff available on there and like to Paul's point these shoes are not the disposable two or three or four year kind of shoes these are shoes you're going to have you know for a long long time and then you know when they start to wear a little bit they've got a great program to to revitalize them and bring them back to you know like Paul says you know not only do they look almost brand new but they're already perfectly fitted for your foot so fantastic stuff there and they've got a lot of really cool sports items you've got to go on the accessories the accessories uh tab on their on their website to check out all of the great things so many cool stuff that uh, the the sport fan sports fan in your life is really going to love very unique gifts that you're not going to find everywhere so really great stuff look forward to having paul back on the show like i say hopefully real soon 
All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. Before we close up shop, you know I like to remind you about our great friend PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. They do such wonderful things for our veterans. Please take a look, take a listen, I should say, to uh, Jim talking about the Salute Military Golf Association. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than a 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, you're doing some amazing things at the Salute Military Golf Association. Please, to find out more information and see how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, everyone, my sincere thanks again to Reese Jones, Terry Kaler, and Paul Grangard for joining me today, and I hope you all enjoyed the show as well. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback with me there. Share your comments. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests or, you know, someone who's already been a part of the show, like, you know, you got some questions for Paul, perhaps, you know, you let me know. Send me that question. We'll be glad to uh, to get that uh, answered for you. Plus, you can go on our website, nextonthetee.net, to see who some of our future guests are going to be. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes from there for free. Plus, check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusi. You know that show, that show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live from Blog Talk Radio. You can hear it on you know many other sites as well. We're available on iHeartRadio and TuneIn and a lot of great other streaming sites. And our good friends, you know, as a podcast, it's available as our, on our good friends over at Podbean. Those folks can't thank them enough again for, you know, featuring our shows, both Thursday Night Tailgate and Next on the T on their site. They're great people, great, uh, great friends of ours and, uh, really wonderful supporters. Can't thank those guys enough. Please, if you, they've got so many great podcasts from all genres, right? So any, any podcast that you're looking for from any genre, football, golf, sports, you know, things outside of sports, you know, all kinds of different things, please go to podbean.com to see all of the great uh, content that they've got available for you over there. And like I say about Thursday Night Tailgate, that show, you know, every week we're joined by five NFL legends. They share their stories, their insights into today's game, that sort of thing, every single week with us from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment, right? You, you, you always hear about the players that are getting themselves in trouble, right? Domestic violence, drugs, whatever it might be, right? We're hammered with that sort of stuff all day long, whether it's, you know, on ESPN News or, you know, on the, you know, the sporting site, you know, insert name here, right? CNN carries those things. We don't hear about the really great stories because 99% of the guys, folks, are out there doing great things in their communities. They got foundations. They're, they're involved with charities. They're doing really great things. We spotlight two of those stories every single week on Thursday Night Tailgate. Folks, Thank you again for choosing to listen to the show today. We know you got thousands of other, you know, shows that you have an opportunity to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you're making Next on the T one of them. 
Until next week, hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA are legends, pros, and top instructors. And media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.